Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of the Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. The Lord bless and keep you. May His face shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll be concluding our study of the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you have a Bible with you, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13, and follow along while I read. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you do not need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we encourage you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
be with you. As we approach this last section of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, we see him returning to familiar themes of faith, hope, and love. He mentions them again, but here he gives us even more depth of insight of how these things work together. Faith is what causes us to love others and care for others. And, And as we grow in faith, we grow in our capacity and willingness to care about others. That love causes our lives to become more and more pure. As we are making decisions based on what is best for others and for the whole and for the body of Christ and according to God's will, I I am allowing God to remove the things from my life that are selfish and and idolatrous and, and, and hurtful to others. So as faith grows, love grows, and that love causes purity to increase, which prepares us for the fulfillment of our hope or that return of Jesus. See, our hope as Christians is in Christ's return and a bodily resurrection. And since we have that hope, since we know that that is going to come to pass, this is not something we're just crossing our fingers wishing would happen. We know that it's coming. We don't grieve like people who have no hope because there are some that we know people in this world who have no expectation for the future. They have no knowledge of what happens next. But Paul says we can rest in full assurance of knowing that Jesus is coming back. He's going to raise the dead and rescue the living, and he is going to take us to live with the Lord forever. We know that's going to happen. Since we know that's going to happen, we don't grieve, mourn, dread death like others do. But Paul also lets us know because we have this hope and because we have nothing to fear in death, we can live this life courageously because Jesus will return and vindicate us. We can go through life doing exactly what God wants and not be afraid because Jesus is going to take care of everything. So we're told in this courageous life that even though we don't know when the Lord's return, even though we don't know when the Lord's return will happen, we do know how to be prepared. We don't have to fear not knowing what needs to be done. He's told us how to be ready. We have the peace and security of knowing that if we walk in the light, Nothing can be taken from us. This is the hope that he describes. It's the hope that we aspire to attain. We want to live in this hope. And Paul provides kind of a barometer for us to help us see whether or not we're living in this hope. If you're wondering whether you genuinely have a hope of that resurrection, you can look at some of the things Paul says in the end of this letter. And if you're life is aligning with that description, you're a person that's living in hope. If your life is not aligning with that description in these verses, then then there's a diminished hope or maybe no hope at all. Maybe you feel hopeless, but the hope is in Christ and it works itself out in our lives in the ways that he describes here. So as we look to be a people who live in hope, we look at what Paul uses to describe those people as a way to judge whether we're walking in the hope, walking in the light, 
or walking in darkness. People who live in hope honor their spiritual leaders. He starts off in verse 12, says that's very important. You've got to identify good spiritual leaders. And when they're telling you what comes from scripture, it doesn't matter what kind of style they use and whether it entertains you or not. It doesn't matter whether you like what you hear or not. They're telling you the things that help you grow. So we have to honor and respect our spiritual leaders. He also says in verse 13 that uh, those folks in hope are at peace. There is not discord among believers. It's hard to imagine as you look at social media and other places uh, where believers are often fighting each other about uh, secular issues and, and trying to say that God is on their side. A lot of these things can be alleviated if we quit trying to make God be on our side and wholly commit to being on his. Then we can be at peace with everyone. But people who are living in hope are also an active people. He even says, admonish those who are idle. Anybody that's sitting around doing nothing, not realizing that life in the kingdom requires work in the kingdom, that with our privilege of being God's children, there comes responsibility for living out his purposes. We have to be active in that. We can't be idle. Paul also says that these people who are living in hope encourage the faint-hearted, they help the weak, and they're patient with everyone. Now, that's a remarkable uh, picture of a person who some of us may not even aspire to want to be because we feel like it would be too much work and be too tense. And too, But Paul says that's what people in hope do. When we see faint-hearted and weak people, we pick them up. And regardless of where people are in their spiritual walk, we're patient with them. We don't expect them to be like us or get it like us. We take them where they are and see if there's anything that we can do to bring them closer to God. Paul also mentions here that folks living in hope do not fight evil with evil. When you see evil in the world and you try to battle it on its own terms, when you're convinced that you have to fight fire with fire, you are going against what Scripture says. Because Scripture tells us that we fight evil with goodness. So when someone strikes us in the face, we turn the other cheek. When someone hates us, we love them. When someone does evil to us, we do good to them. We don't fight evil with evil. Now, when we see evil in our midst, in our communities, in our homes, we fight it with goodness. That doesn't mean that we can't call sin sin. It doesn't mean that we accept whatever you want to do. It means that when we see something that needs to change, we fight it with kindness and goodness, not with evil, not with hatred, not with vitriol, not with screaming and yelling. We do what is good for the people involved. Paul even says that you should look to do good to one another and to everyone. Everyone we come in contact with, we should be looking to see if there's something good that we can do for them. And it doesn't matter how hateful they've been to us, how horribly they've sinned against God. Our job is to fight evil with goodness. Paul also says that uh, these folks living in hope always rejoice never give up on prayer, and are grateful. That seems kind of difficult for us sometimes because I think we uh, imagine that 
always rejoicing means that we're happy about everything. Well, one, happiness and joy are, are different things, and we may even dedicate a, a podcast episode to that sometime, but uh, joy is something that comes about from uh, the things that are within us, where happiness is affected by uh, external stimulus. It's something going on outside us that affects our mood or emotions. But joy is something we can have in us that can live in us and always be there, even if there is grief and sorrow in our lives. Even when we're angry, there is that source of joy within us that we never let go of. Because it's that that helps us see through the bad circumstance and, and see how God is working to bring everything together for good. And we can celebrate the goodness that comes out of any situation. I do want to be clear. When Paul makes that statement in Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, he's not saying that everything is good. Everything that happens to you is good. He's saying even when bad things happen, God can bring good out of it if we trust him and love him. And so that is our ability and our capacity to experience joy always. And Paul also says that you should pray without ceasing. And I don't think he's saying that you should pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I think he's saying never give up on the idea that prayer works. Always be willing to use prayer. Whether it's your first instinct or your last resort, don't give up on the efficiency and effectiveness of prayer. And we're grateful. Again, not because bad things happen, but that we have a God who will bring something good out of those bad things. People who live in hope see the world this way and act this way in the midst of even the most terrible circumstances. Paul also says that these folks don't stop the spirit from working. My translation says don't quench the spirit. Don't stop the spirit from doing the work that it's trying to do in your life. God will not force you to do what you don't want to do. He will convict, he will prompt, he will do all kinds of things to to try to get you on board, but ultimately it's your choice. Will I follow the Lord or will I rebel? When we are given an opportunity to serve God, when we feel that prompting, when we know the Spirit is leading us in a particular direction and we go the opposite direction, we're stopping the Spirit from doing the work it wants to do in us, through us, and to us. God can still perform his will without you. He can do it in spite of you, but he's invited you to join him in his work and to not stop the spirit from cleaning you up and making you whole and using you for his purposes. Paul also says these people who live in hope are thinking through every situation, they're understanding the consequences, and they're making the best possible choices. You may say, well, where did you see that? That sounds like good advice, but I didn't hear that in what you read. And I take that from verses 20 and 21. He says, do not despise prophecies. You know, when you're being told how the word of the Lord applies to you, don't despise that. 
test everything. If somebody tells you this is the Lord's will for you, make sure you put that to the test. But when you find something that's good, hang on to it and put away everything that, that's evil. Don't hang on to those things. Let them go. And so if we're living in hope, we're looking at our circumstances, trying to understand it from God's perspective, understanding the consequences of the different choices I can make, and then deciding to do what God says is best. Regardless of what I think is most helpful to me, what does God say is the best thing to do? And then absolutely avoid the evil. All of those actions and attitudes that don't have God as any part of them. And so Paul has given us this list of things. People even look at them sometimes as a list of rules, but I think he's giving us a, a list of descriptions of what it looks like to live in hope. And if we're not living that way, we're not a people who are full of hope. We still have doubts. Doubts linger about whether or not God's way is the best way to live on forever whether or not God will actually rescue us. So it lets us know that we need to go back to our own hearts and do, have we put faith in God and are we loving people the way we want and allowing that purity to happen so that we can experience this hope. So in this last section, Paul is letting us know uh, what living in hope does for us. He even closes out the letter by saying, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. What's Paul saying? This living in hope, comparing yourself to this description that I've said, and, and living, embracing that hope, living in it, allows God to bring you to maturity, and it prepares you for the return of Jesus. You're growing being sanctified. You're being whole in spirit and soul and body. You're being kept blameless so that when Jesus returns, you can experience all that God's promised. As we look at Paul's teaching to the Thessalonians, we have to ask ourselves, are we prepared? Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org. Or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.